0: church planters and ministry pioneers are at the forefront of the mission to carry the good news of the kingdom to as many places as possible. In many ways, this requires fresh and innovative thinking, but it also requires an understanding of the ways God has been working in the church throughout its history and a commitment to thinking about church planting in a theologically robust way that underpins the practical planning, strategy and commitments required. I'm your host, Kenny Innes, and on this episode of Theodisc, I'm talking with Alan Emerson and Roger Ellis. Alan has a Master's in Divinity from Union College, Belfast, and leads Emmanuel Church in Lurgan, Northern Ireland, out of which a growing movement and family of churches has been birthed called Tobar. Roger oversees 24-7 prayers training and development, and has in the past pioneered and led the UK Student Ministry Fusion and Revelation Church in Chichester. Both Roger and Alan teach ecclesiology as part of WTC's graduate diploma in church planting and leadership. Whether you are planting a church, thinking about it, leading in a church, or are part of a church family, this conversation will cause you to think about the rich history of God's people as they've allowed the scriptures and the spirit to deeply affect their thinking, and how this should shape our future thinking and what the church should be. Roger and Alan, thank you so much for being part of the Theodisc podcast. It's great to have you on.
1: Great to be here.
0: Yeah. So before we get into our conversations today, we want to really look at church planting, the intersection of planting with um, models of of ecclesiology um, and theological training, how that all kind of fits together, particularly as you two teach on our graduate diploma, uh, church planting and leadership program um, in shapes of the church. But before we do that, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better, our listeners to hear a little bit about who you are. And the way we do that is just ask you three questions about things that you return to that are constants in your life. So those three categories are a book, a food, and a location. So let's go with a book first. Roger, I'm going to pitch it to you.
1: Well, for me, it would be uh, either beginning from Jerusalem or unity and diversity, James Dunn. Uh, I like I like it because he's one of the few Pauline scholars who gives a lot of attention to ecclesiology from a historical and theological perspective and uh, I find that particularly uh, inspiring. So it would it's Jimmy for me.
0: Jimmy all the way. And, of course, it looks like he's in a race to uh, with N.T. Wright for most words you can fit into um, your theological books. <laughs> Massive tools.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty substantial. But if you're going to read something, you might as well read something. <laughs> That's my philosophy.
0: Alan, a book for you. Yeah,
2: so I'm a bit of a fanboy, to be honest, of Jimmy too. Um, but... Um, the purposes of a little bit of diversity I will go for Henry now in the name of Jesus uh, reflections on Christian leadership I just find myself needing to remind myself of the
0: the Jesus way to lead yeah that and the wounded healer are just mm. deeply profound books aren't they mm-hmm. well
1: it's great okay a food that you return to our meal well, for me, it's, it's got to be curry. I love to cook curry, but uh, also I like to eat out. So curry, any form of curry, but, you know, a chicken Danzac is probably my go-to dish.
0: If I were to walk in your house, Roger, would I get that whiff of, you know, that, that basic curry smell? And
1: if you mentioned the word curry, I would be showing you around my spice cupboards, <laughs> which is very exciting.
2: Well, I I've walked round that house and smelled those <laughs> um, savoury spices. Um, it's 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 a good it's a good um, it's a good thing. Curry and, and Roger's house. Mine um, would be uh, we have a little kind of ritual here. Um, a small group of men in our church per walk around the town that we are planting a church in called Portadown, and they go from six to seven every Friday night. And so I um, phone the local thai place in portadown it's called some spot which <laughs> 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 is just, just brilliant within itself and um it's uh but it's amazing and they do a chicken penang so i i make the order do the pro walk lift it afterwards and come home and have a penang chicken curry with half chips and half rice with my <laughs>
1: Only in with,
2: with my wife
1: <laughs> I couldn't get my head around that the first time I went there. More 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 shocking than the snails in <laughs> snails or snakes, half and half, you know.
0: Well that's one way to motivate your prayer at least. <laughs> the <laughs> end point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. <sighs> <laughs> Great. And a location that you return to?
1: Well, for me it's um I get to run a fishing lake, so uh, I'm regularly walking around there. So that's my place of return. It's a good place to reflect, great place to fish, meet some of our friends down there that are fishing. So um, you know, any any time is a, a good time to to walk around the lake. So that that's where I that's where I go to. That's my place.
2: Great. Um, yeah. In terms of um, places I like to go, cities, it would be Edinburgh. Um, just love. The love the vibe and all the culture and um, there been many times um but in the sort of day-to-day week by week I'd find myself a lot of time going down to my mom and dad's house where I was brought up which is just on the south shores of Loch Nair um, so uh, it feels like a calm place when you need to just have a bit of headspace and make it feel like that homely kind of feeling so comforts the
0: soul Yeah, as a Glasgow man, I won't hold the Edinburgh thing against you, although I do have many friends from Edinburgh, and they do have cobblestones there, so, you know, it's a nice place. (laughs) Shout out to all of the Edinburgh WTC students who are listening to this podcast. Yes, invite me
2: anytime. (laughs)
0: Well, great. Well, let's let's get into uh, kind of the meat of what we want to talk about today. Both of you teach on our um, Church Planting and Leadership uh, graduate diploma, a module called Shapes of the Church, Past, Present, and Future. And obviously, your teaching on that is not just based on some kind of um, theological conjecture, um, but you both have some experience. It'd be good to hear just kind of your own formative background a little bit in Church Planting and Leadership. Roger, what about you?
1: Well, I, I came to faith uh, at the age of 19 from a completely unchurch background. You know, I was a metal freak and just found, wandered into a church, kind of wondered what on earth was going on uh, at one level. But another level, you know, I was seeking, um, had a real experience of the Holy Spirit. Loads of my friends started coming to faith we didn't fit in anywhere or in any church and so we ended up um we didn't realize we were starting a church but we were starting a church you know there we were with you know heavy metal worship and you know all sorts of strange things of course then we started to grow and ended up uh, with other churches starting as well and so we kind of discovered church planting before we knew that it was church planting and it was really all about this belief that, that that we'd fallen in love with church but that for me was the framework that that launched us on a journey that we just wanted to see this you know dynamic community expressed amongst our friends in our culture in our language and that that's that's where we we started and it's kind of still where we are in some ways <laughs> i hope we've learned a few things along the way but yeah that just about sums it up i think
0: alan yeah so i um,
2: very different than roger but also lots of similarities and um, different in that i was brought up from a in a, in a you know kind of strong christian brethren background were sort of second third generation my grand my granny kind of looked after all the preachers my uncles were lay preachers and um, i you know got saved every week um, and <laughs> <laughs> from from when i was like four or whatever um but when, it, when I was about 17, it was when it really all dropped, if you like, you know, and, uh, you know, just really encountered the love of God in a pretty radical way and experienced of despair. And, and that kind of coincided roughly in terms of timing with one of my uncles who had been a preacher uh, uh, for many years. Um from he was like nine. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, when he was in his mid-30s, he got really filled with the spirits and uh, just encountered the Lord in a a way that didn't really fit the existing kind of ecclesial paradigm, should we say. And um, he he left that, which at that time was a big thing. And by just being in and around the city here, and particularly a lot of the poorer parts of the city, he became aware of a lot of brokenness and, you know, praying for these people, leading them to Jesus. He uh, knew he needed to disciple them somehow, and they started the church in their living room. And um, it's just grown over the years. So that, that kind of coincided with my own awakening, so to speak. And from that point on, I just have been involved, really, in helping in a very messy, beautiful, complex, naive, but passionate and raw um, community, um, a bit like Roger then, just really learned as we went along. And you yeah. um, uh, yeah, never had any real imagination for church planting, just had the privilege, looking back, of being involved in one from an early age, and that's really been the rest of my life since then.
0: What's beautiful about both those stories is that they arise from a real a need, to experience God Mm -hmm. and needs to gather together with people, both kind of organic experiences of growing out of what's God doing in this moment and how do we somehow facilitate that even if we don't know fully. I think depending on what movement or what stream or what part of the church you're in, there may be a certain concept of this is how you do church planting. What do you guys think about that? What are you seeing is happening across in our UK, Ireland culture at the moment with planting networks and and ways people are doing things?
1: Well, I mean, you do see different movements favor a predominant model, you know, and, and you, you, you can actually, in some cases, it feels like multiplying a brand. But I think when you look at the different models, you know, you have... Sort of larger pl- planting models that are, you know, you need professional staff, funding. You know, you you're, you're planting a bigger dynamic. You may be planting a meeting, providing resources. It's an attractional approach, and there are some places where those things are working well. Others they're not. Some places they are seeing new people come to faith, and others there's a lot of transfers. That you've got that, and then on the the the, the other extreme. I think not as different as you may look, because I think when you look at the church growth movement historically, which is some of the things that, that we've explored together, you see that that both of those, in some ways, have their roots in attempting to contextualize Christianity. But you've got your simple church, your house church framework, which uh, you know can be very ideological. You know, we're we're doing we're doing proper New Testament church you know <laughs> which they'd ask well which new testament church you talking about jerusalem <laughs> antioch corinth rome or ephesus which one can you help me with that and then you you have this interest in spirituality and spiritual formation i think some people are moving away from the sort of discipleship framework but and i think you then have this new monasticism monastic communities houses of prayer I mean, it's quite interesting because I think within all of those frameworks, you can see groups that are really growing and, and God's moving. You see other groups where maybe it's not working. And so I think there's a, a lot of a lot of complexity. And I think what we've tried to do in the way we've looked at things is to invite church planters to become not just missiologists, but ecclesiologists, and then to begin to not critique everybody else's model in order to uphold their ideology (laughs) as such, but to say, well, hang on a minute, where where can I learn from? What can I learn from these other models? How can we, we almost sit above where our tradition is leading us and training us and mentoring us, and and what can we learn and how can we then renew and refresh our thinking in the light of that?
0: Alan, what do you think about this idea? There's a tension between the need for some kind of structure or model. You start with some idea but also a responsiveness to the place the culture in which planters are moving into how how do you see people attempting to manage that
2: i think one of the things that we would be quite passionate about trying to help people rediscover is a trust in the person of the holy spirit as the ultimate pioneer and originator of the of the the early churches i think sometimes there's a danger that we create a dichotomy almost, or false dichotomy when it comes to the kind of spirit and structure that somehow the Holy Spirit will do the creative kind of pioneering wild stuff. And um, somehow structure stuff is kind of human man-made, which obviously it can be. I think what we see in our rediscovery of some of what we think the richness of the kind of New Testament story shows us is that Paul, I think, particularly shows us that there is a revelation of ordering the, the administration of Ephesians chapter three, you know, where it talks about that that him was given the plan, the administration, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. So I think almost it's going into each culture and context, recognizing God is at work, not just to supernaturally break in with the signs of the kingdom but also to bring the ordering of the household of faith that is needed. And so I think it was Eugene Peterson that said, all good uh, theology is rooted in geography. Mm -hmm. And I I really like that when it comes to the church planting context. And it's, you know, it's incarnational in that regard in that we, as we go into different contexts and go into different cultures, that um, we see something of the, we, we, we can trust the Spirit is there and at work, not only to bring about the kingdom in terms of signs and wonders and all the breakthrough of power that we want to see, but also then to help us bring the shape that is needed to the household of faith in that particular unique area, rather than feeling that we have to rely on a textbook, you know, that is going to give us that framework. It might be helpful, but I think we need to trust the person of the Holy Spirit and particularly those kind of more if we were to call them apostolic kind of master builder, architectural graces that come from the spirit to help us shape and build a household of faith, the kingdom family.
1: And I think James Dunn talks about Paul recasting Christian community, if you like, that, that comes back to this thing that, you know, we as church planters, well, you could call as missiologists, but I think we're ecclesiologists because that's how our mission is outworked. And so what we're wanting to do is encourage that creativity and at the same time, saying, "Well, let's keep asking the question. Well, what is church? What constitutes a church? Of course, that's a great question to to ask. You you know, what happens when the mother the mother church of a movement then becomes big, but then that mother church no longer exists for some reason, or something happens. Then what happens to movements? And I think these are all the the kind of things that we're you're wanting to look at and and to to assess and i think to do that you have to take a a broad look at what's going on Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: you know but often in the church you know we have the next big thing don't we it's this type of church this type of framework so how how do we hold those ideas and that innovation uh, alongside stuff that's been outworked throughout church history and that's why for us also looking back to the new testament period but not getting buried in this well we're going to do the new testament church well you know Good luck with that one because of its diversity but but also because of all the faults that are there that are beautifully canonized for us
0: it's really interesting So i think with paul you kind of see as you read his letters you're seeing him work a lot of that out with all, yeah. all of these plants in different locations what does it look like here for us to be the body of christ mm-hmm. i think that's a great awareness of when you're reading his letters that he's yeah. he is speaking into particular contexts and helping them to shape that um, yeah. and, I, and I wonder if we could kind of springboard off of that. You know, you've, we've already alluded a couple of times about let's get back to the New Testament church. But of course, throughout history, there have been all these models of church um, adapting. Why is it important for people who are setting out to plant a church in a particular area to be aware of what's happened historically?
1: I love um, Richard Borkham and, and, and done stuff on you know, Jesus and the eyewitnesses, that, that, you know, what you see, you know, in the emergence of the earliest churches are those that were were with G- Jesus and were eyewitnesses of Jesus and were closest to Jesus. And this is the way that they began to outwork Christian community, church, and church planting uh, from the earliest stage. And so I think that... and. you you add that to the canonical nature of the the scriptures you see well, there's something there that we should i think start with and reflect on you know even though we cannot at one level you know corinth and the culture of corinth is drastically different and what we do today we can't reproduce that today but another level is you know you had an empire with immigrants and everybody wanted to become citizens and those that were citizens that were in and those that were out, uh, were work were out and sounds rather similar to some of our nation states. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think there are a lot, a lot of common factors as well. So, so I think, the, you know, one level there is this naive, we're going to be a New Testament church, but then at another level, you know, I, I, we don't want to go there, but another level there is this, I think, anchoring back that is really, really important. Yep.
2: Yeah, I think there's there was a great paper, I think it was like in the 60s in Lausanne. Um, I think it was Bruce Winter and he talked about the two the different patterns throughout church history. He does that great kind of overview of that's quite technical, the terminology, but, you know, modalism and sodalism that these kind of this first and foremost, the modalism, this customary mode of church for people of all generations, almost like we might think of the sort of congregational mode today but then also this sort of so- sodalism where, where a kind of band of brothers and sisters committed to you know, maybe a more uh, trans-local kind of ministry or maybe gathering around a common purpose. And I, I think he's charting that pattern, even that's just one pattern, but charting that pattern throughout the two thousand last 2000 years, I think is really enriching and insightful where, and looking at the times that they have served one another. And I think one of the things that, that paper does is when, you know, when when the more fluid, I suppose coming from Ireland, you know, and the more Celtic kind of fluid model of church planting, when it served the more established thing, that, that's when we really find a sweet spot, I think, in some ways in the church, because we get this place where um you know people of every kind of background and all walks of life and living out their faith in all kind of spheres of and vocations of life. Uh, are are married up with a more fluid movemental pioneering edge to the church. So I think for example, just even talking about that is a is a as a pattern of it seems of the spirit throughout church history from from the early church in the book of Acts where we where we see people coming together congregating, but then we see Paul's kind of apostolic band and how that dynamic has repeated itself down through history. Even that just serves as a podcast in itself, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> for you know how you know for 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 how do we see that playing out today? So I think that's just one example of how different patterns throughout church history can serve the purposes. To first, to have a much more creative, enriching conversation today than simply just well, here's a model, go and repeat it.
1: Yeah, and I think you know church planters often are, you know, we're, we're activists, we're practitioners, we want to get out there, we want to do it. You know, we're following a creative impulse, you know, give us something that works, we're going out work it. But two or three years down the line, the things that seem to be a solution could be there now, the things that, you know, you're stuck with that are really, really difficult to bring change to. And, and I think that's where, you know, that, that, that's where I think some reflection theological reflection works and 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 getting some different voices in is so helpful so some reflection at the beginning and some clear frameworks around building can be really useful
0: and i think particularly important at the moment perhaps um, we were talking earlier about the importance of the Spirit's involvement and listening to what the Spirit's doing. Perhaps we're at a pause point in kind of our church models right now where there's a lot of scrutiny about leadership failure. What what part have church models played on that? Mm-hmm. What might the Spirit be saying to us? Maybe we're at the tail end of this has kind of gotten a bit stale. Now God wants to do something new. What do you guys think about about that moment we're in right now?
2: I think we we certainly are. I think you're totally right, Kenny. That there's a deconstruction of so many of the models because of some of the obvious failures, if you like, that those structures seem to have produced. You know, in saying that, I think as Roger mentioned earlier, (laughs) thankfully the New Testament canonizes all the dysfunction problems. And, um, yeah, crises that, you know, they had the experience as well. And, you know, I think that for me just stands up to the integrity of the scriptures in some ways in terms of what they give us as a a framework. But I do think in this moment it does allow us to return to the the beauty of the New Testament, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of repent and return to the things that you did at first. And I think was the rebuke be- before the end of the first century or there are thereabouts, isn't it? Like, it seems like this, yeah. Yeah. the human condition has the propensity to move that way. And it was already doing that before, you know, J- John has died. And I think those first things were devotion to Jesus and the ways of Jesus. Uh, and, and I think that's essentially what the apostles doctrine was, wasn't it? So they, they built the church around your know, white hot devotion to Jesus and, you you know, their their dedicated was basically the, the words and way of Jesus, you know. So I definitely think that being enamored with the building the big thing or building the brand has been uh, proven uh, inadequate, to say the least. Yeah. And I think it does provide us with an opportunity to return to the first things, uh, building around a cornerstone apostolic prophetic gifts trying to like then build out strong foundations call call the church back to its original plumb line and trust the spirit gifts that he's given us i
1: think it's allowing allowing the the new testament to critique us in that you know context that, you know yeah. i think one of the things james does says you know the, the the body analogy is paul's sort of dream and favorite framework for for church and mm-hmm. you know, he asked this question at the end you know did, did paul ever see that fulfilled in his lifetime and 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 if you got to the halfway through the second century what would he have thought of, of what eventually emerged mm-hmm. but i think you know there is this dynamic well one of apostles prophets, and teachers you think well how does that fit within contemporary models but you've also got this you, you, you've got first, but also you've got sort of a reversal of hierarchy, you've got team, you've got the body dimension that goes all the way through in terms of the, the, the community of faith, but also the, the, the leadership itself is a body and operating as a body. And I think when you start to apply that to contemporary models, you know, which are rather sort of CEO-like and business-like, not that there's nothing that we can learn from the way the wider culture has organized things, but have we gone so far down the line mm-hmm. and, and have have movements that have always said, well, we don't believe in a clergy and laity. They've just got one by another name. And, and so then you're creating divides. And, divi- and, and I think these are all the things, if you're going to go that route, uh, you, you then have to allow that to be critiqued. And if you want to talk of, or well, we are a family, we're a community, we're a relational church. But that's quite difficult when you've got a staff of 20 that you have to appraise and that you might fire them. Well, you can't fire your brother and sister, can you? So, you, you, Because they're always your brother and sister. So you've got these confusing features. And I'm not saying that one's right, the other's wrong, and that we shouldn't have all those dynamics. But I think these are the things that as church planters we have to wrestle with and each movement has to wrestle with. And and work out how are we going to how are we going to re- remain true to who we are in our vision and our calling, and, and how are we going to choose way of doing ways of doing things that that keep us close to that. And of course, we need constant renewal as a church, and part of that is changing structures. And so, if you're stuck within an ideology of this is how we do church, this is how we do church planting, I think you have to be a bit flexible because we all need renewal. And renewal inevitably is going to change our structures, isn't it? It's the same in a marriage, isn't it? In, you know, you, your marriage has to renew, and structure, any relationship. So, so I think it's kind to help leaders deal with that.
0: If I was a church planter right now, eavesdropping in on this conversation, I would think there's a lot here for me to think about that maybe I hadn't considered. <laughs> you know, I've got my, I've got the structure. Um, I've got a genuine call um, to a particular location. I find a community center or a building. We're going to have it in. Uh, I've got my Facebook page and the website ready. You know, all these things that feel quite immediate and we can do something about this. But f- theological consideration and thought feels quite slow and deliberative. And yeah, I wonder if we can maybe just move into talking here about why it's worthwhile church planting movements or planters as individuals thinking about investing in the time and the the money that it takes to think theologically through what they're either already doing or about to do.
2: I think for me, you know, my own experience has been when I have been led by others, including Roger, into a deep dive of biblical reflection to underpin my practice, if you like, as an ecclesiologist, let's let's say, then that has been the most enriching experience that, you know, it's hard to put words to, that you don't really find in any other church planting conference book or, or or whatever. And particularly the book of Acts, I think, is is paradigmatic. I think that's part of Luke's intention, not just to tell us the story of the first church, but to lay a, a biblical kind of framework of almost to say, this is cycle one of the Great Commission, you know, Jerusalem to to Rome. It's been unfolded. And along the way, there's keys for us to take for the expansion of the church in order for us to fulfill the words of Jesus. And I think we, we try to say in our course that, you know, the provoking question is, what is the primary metric for success of the church? And it's not all the things that you just mentioned, Kenny, you know, which often is what we're seduced by. It's it's faithfulness to the unfolding of the Great Commission. And I think mm. Luke is showing us how that happens. And so therefore really rigorous reflection on the keys that enable that to happen, provide such a rich conversation for how we then apply that to our context. And I think that's basically the approach that we're trying to take. It's, it's almost, let's do a deep dive into all the tensions, all the beauty, all the principles and practices that we see throughout the book of x and then let's let's try and apply these two to our context because we see this beautiful unity and diversity but but the things that they're the things that there's unity around let's um let's really try and start you know connecting our hearts around those things and then have all the fun in the world in terms of uh, incarnating this in all of our different contexts
1: yeah. and i think that's fantastic and i think you know pragmatically it's like um you know, if you're going to be a church planter and plant churches, you, you're you're always going to have to be a problem solver and you are going to have to deal with problems on the run. But the way it works is it's much easier if you get the foundations right or as right as possible. We realised in the first sort of five, six years of our church, we tried everything. We tried mid-sized communities, house groups, cell groups, network groups, you know, planting this way, planting on estates, and we realised We'd done so much change, and when we sat back at the end of it, thought, "Would we really have been any healthier or been any bigger if we hadn't have done all of these different things?" And we came to the conclusion, "No, we wouldn't." If, if we'd have just... and I think all we'd done is exhausted our people, <laughs> and 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 so I think it's if you can take that space to reflect and really look at the big picture, it's much kinder to the people that you're leading because i know sometimes it's well let's just go and pioneer and people can move but it's people's lives people are relocating their jobs they're taking salary cuts they're they're you know they're they're, they're, we're going to educate our children here we're going to you know people are making major life decisions in in order to be part of the church plan and i think we should all everybody should be called and we all have to make our own sacrifice but i think as church planters, the more we can reflect, I think it's much kind of pastorally, uh, uh, and, you know, we're more likely to produce something that, that's just got that joy about it.
0: Yeah. So it's that investment up front that really will pay dividends mm. going forward. And I think, yeah, you know, that's why our our... A graduate diploma in church planting and leadership at WTC has those things in combination that theological reflection a deep dive into the scriptures Mm. a look at kind of ecclesiology and models and perhaps you know foundational to all of that this space and time to listen to what the Spirit is saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in all of those things and into the context in which planters and leaders are moving I think that's a really vital investment for people to make
1: the great thing about the course is that you've got you've got people that are thinking about church planting that are still forming, that are right at the beginning.
2: Mm-hmm. You've
1: got some that are right in the middle of it, but you've got established leaders that have been about it, and, and they're all reflecting together. Uh, and, and I think that's the, that's the beauty of it, uh, you know. And when you get somebody, you know, who's planting in a fairly large context, and then you've got some people that are doing the simple church thing or something completely different, and then you get them reflecting together learning from each other drawing from one another you you know problem solving together doing the theological reflection together it is very it's a very rewarding context
0: we've had a little over 30 minutes to have this conversation but if people come to study with us, you can spend hours with Roger and Alan, I love it, <laughs> <laughs> who teach their module together, digging into all of this. And I think you know, if you are a church planter or a church leader, or you know people who are about to begin that journey or who are on that journey, then I'd really encourage you to check out um, wtctheology.org.uk and look at the Graduate Diploma in Church Planting and Leadership program and see if it might be something that really fits for you. Roger and Alan, thank you so much for spending the time with us. I wish we could we could talk more, maybe in the future we will, but I really appreciate your thoughts today and uh, hope people really do listen and look to invest in themselves and their future church plants. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks, Kenny. Pleasure.
3: Well, thank you Roger and Alan for giving us real insight into your own journeys of church planting and how we can all be involved in the process of church multiplication. It's encouraging to hear testimonies of how a firm theological foundation is so essential to the life and growth of the church. In our next episode, Kenny talks with our Vice Principal and New Testament scholar Ben Blackwell about the already but not yet of the kingdom and how God's kingdom comes through suffering. Ben's primary teaching and research areas include New Testament and theology, and he thoroughly enjoys interacting with students on a wide variety of topics on our undergraduate and postgraduate programmes at WTC. Thank you for listening to episode 29 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 30. Yes, you heard correctly, episode 30 with Ben Blackwell as we look at the Kingdom of God. Bye for now.